take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. As we are coming to the close of this chapter, one chapter to go in the Sermon on the Mount that will deal with other things. But chapter 6 has been something of a, of a fascinating chapter. We've spent a lot of time, especially in verses 8 through 13, on the Lord's Prayer and His teaching us how to pray and in what manner we ought to pray. And we will, uh, we will look at that over and over again through the days to come because that is, that is the example, that is the pattern, that is the truth of the importance of prayer and how Jesus puts emphasis on it. There's kind of an interesting contrast that some people see in this chapter, and that is that Jesus starts out in the first part talking about the problem of hypocrisy. And he deals with that quite extensively. Don't be like the hypocrites and pray beating your chest in public so that everybody will see you and, and see what a great person you are or think what a great person you are. Don't be like the hypocrite. When you give, don't make it known and showy. Let it be quiet. Don't even let your right hand know what your left hand is doing when you're giving. I mean, he, he talks about hypocrisy in a, as a very serious problem. Then in, in the middle there, he talks about prayer. And he says, this is how you ought to pray. When you, when you come to your Heavenly Father, this is how you ought to pray. And now he moves into talking about anxiety or worry. And some say, does hypocrisy and anxiety really go together? And I would contend to you that they do. They are dealing with much the same thing. Because when we are playing the hypocrite, our focus is on the wrong thing. And when our focus is on the wrong thing, anxiety and worry will become a very real part of our life. And, and so we need to see that Jesus is not changing directions here. He's not coming to a whole different subject matter. He's just continuing on in a natural understanding of what it will be like to live kingdom living in a fallen world. We live in a world that has fallen. We live in a world that is captivated and enslaved to sin. And we have been called out of that world as kingdom members. We have been made a part of the kingdom of God. So if we have Christ as our Lord, we live as citizens of the kingdom of God, how are we to live within that fallen world? Because we are to be in the world, but not of the world, Jesus says. How does that work? How does that happen? That's not easy. And Jesus recognizes that's not easy, but he wants his disciples to understand that while it may not be easy, it is absolutely imperative that we understand and that our focus be right, and that we dwell on what's important and dwell on what he would have us to see. So he comes to verses 25 through 34, and he talks about worry, the whole problem of worry or anxiety, your translation might say. Follow along as I read this, and I want you to hear it, because as we say every time we read Scripture and come to the end, this is the Word of God. This is the Word of the Lord. Uh, you know, I hope you catch that. I hope you recognize that. I thought about it today when, when Todd finished reading that Psalm 3, which is a tremendous psalm that relates very much to what we're talking about here in Matthew chapter 6 today. And he came into that reading and he said, This is the word of the Lord. And many responded, some in the, the choir and some out there and myself, we, we respond, thanks be to God. It's just a natural thing to respond to the word of God. This is God's word to us. This is God's instructions this is God's teaching us what it means to walk in Christ and to live in Christ, especially in the world in which you're in. So there ought to be a great thankfulness. There ought to be a response to the Word. So next week when the words were read or when I finish this passage and say this is the Word of the Lord or this is the Word of God, you can respond if you would like. 
That's an old church tradition that we've, we've lost as Baptists. But in the early church, they always responded with thanks be to God for what he has given us in his word because it is so rich and it is so important. Hear the word of the Lord. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory clothed, in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. Not even Solomon did. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what shall we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now that is practical teaching by our Lord. He's getting down to just really where we live in this passage. One thing he recognizes is that, that worry or anxiety is really a problem in the lives of many people. I suppose even in many people who claim the name of Christ, who believe they have been saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ alone, and yet, for whatever reason, it seems to be a natural thing for human beings in this world to do, and that's to worry. Worry about our jobs. And uh, granted, we live, in a, we live in a world today that, that certainly fuels that anxiety. We live in a world where the economy is in trouble, where housing is in trouble, where all sorts of things around us seem to be collapsing, and, and we worry about our jobs, and we worry about whether we can stay in our homes, and we worry about this, and we worry about... It is a natural thing, it seems, in a fallen world. If we weren't in a fallen world, we wouldn't have that problem. But it seems like the natural thing for human beings to do in this fallen world, and that is to worry. But have you ever noticed that once you start worrying about something that that something, whatever it is, begins to dominate your thinking, it begins to dominate your life, that if, you, if you're worrying about one particular area of life, that's all you can think about, everything else kind of goes dark, everything else kind of disappears, things that are very important, things you ought to be thinking about and concerning yourself with, those become absolutely sideline things, unimportant things, and what you worry about is what dominates your thinking. Jesus recognized this and makes it clear here that worry is at best a sub-Christian attitude. Worrying at best is less than what God wants for his children. But I think he goes even further. 
than saying it's a sub-Christian attitude. I think Jesus is making the point here that worry in the life of the believer, in the life of that one who is a part of the kingdom of God, a part of the family of God, that worry in his or her life is not just a sub-Christian attitude. Worry is a sin. It really is. Now, now you look at that and you say, well, why would worry be a sin? Well, it's amazing that throughout this passage, three times in this passage, Jesus makes an emphatic statement, do not be worried or do not worry. That's emphatic. He doesn't say, don't worry because things really aren't as bad as they seem to be because things may very well be very bad. But he said, even in the, in the face of, of sickness, even in the face of financial ruin, even in the face of not knowing what tomorrow holds, don't worry about that because it is a sin to worry. There, there's several reasons why that's the case, I think. First of all, I think he makes clear in this passage that worry is a sin because worry is unnecessary. It's really unnecessary. It's unnecessary for one specific reason, and that is because God is in control. God is sovereign. God sits on his throne and he rules his creation and he rules it wisely and he rules it with great care. And so because God is in control, because we serve a mighty God, not a puny, weak, impotent God, we serve a mighty God, worry is really unnecessary in the life of the believer. Jesus says, don't you know that God knows what you need? Don't you know that he knows it before you even know it? And he has promised to take care of you. He uses these illustrations about lilies in the field and birds of the air and all these other things. And he says, listen, worry is really unnecessary if God is in control. He also makes it clear that worry is useless. He said, do you think that by worrying... Verse 27, do you think that by being worried, you can add a single hour to your life? Do you think that by worrying, you can, you know, if I just worry enough about this illness I've got, at least I'll add a little time to my life. Jesus said, you can't add an hour. You can't add a minute. You can't add a second to your life by worry. And so it really is useless. In reality, we, we worry about one of two things usually. We worry about the past or we worry about the future. We worry about something boneheaded we've done in the past, something really dumb, and how is that going to affect the future? Or we worry about where, what's going to be happening tomorrow or what's going to be happening next week. And, and Jesus is saying with this verse, understand, the past can't be changed and the future can't be charted by man. So worry is useless and in many cases is debilitating. It'll break you down. It'll, it'll cause you to miss all of God's desires, all of God's plans for your life, all of his purposes for your life. So it's unnecessary and it's useless. It's also blind. It worry's blind. He says, Jesus says it, it refuses to learn the lessons of God's providence that's taught us by something as mundane as birds and flowers. You know, we've got the word of God. Just talked about that. We've got God's written word. We've got God's living word in Jesus Christ and his written word in the Bible where God says, don't worry, I'm taking care of you, I'm in control. He, he tells us all these things, but he said, listen, 
just look at the mundane things of the world. Look at birds flying around in the air and lilies out in the field, flowers in the field. God takes care of those and you're far more important to, to, to Him than they are. They die, they drop, they, they wither and they're thrown in the furnace. The, the, weed, the, the flowers are. But you're far more important than that. But worry causes us to just refuse to listen to the lessons of God's providence even in natural revelation, even in the world in which he's created, which David said screams and cries and declares the, the glory of God. It's blind. And it puts blinders on us so that we don't see the glory of the providence of God. It's the fourth reason it's a sin. And this gets even a little more serious, I think, because worry is essentially a failure to trust God. It's essentially a failure to put your faith in God. It's sort of a taking back something, if you will, of his lordship and his kingship and his rule over your life. And saying, Lord, I know you told me, I know you told me that you could take care of this, but I really feel like I just need to worry about this. I need to try to take care of this myself. It's a failure to trust God. The writer of Hebrews makes it clear that anything that's not done by faith is sin. Anything that's not done by faith is displeasing to God. And, and Jesus is simply saying here that when you worry, you've got God showing you all this glorious stuff about his providence, about his sovereignty, about how he's in control. You've got all these great illustrations, not only from the word, but from nature. And when you worry, you just say, God, I can't trust you with that. I'd really like to. Now, now I'm speaking as a, a recovering worrier here, and still a worrier to some degree. I mean, I've been debilitated by worry in my life. Uh, I remember one time, particularly in my ministry, that my ministry basically shut down because I was worried that it wasn't growing enough and it, it, wasn't, it wasn't having enough fruit of it. And, and, man, I was worried about that. And I thought, man, if I don't do something, something bad's going to happen. And I worried about it. And you know what I was saying? I was saying, God, I know you said this is your church. I know you said you would take care of your church. I know you said you would grow your church. But, Lord, i, I got to take a little bit of the responsibility back. It's got to be up to me somewhat. It almost drove me crazy. It was a failure to trust God. But even worse than that, worry is a sin because worry is basically calling God a liar. Have you thought about that? God says, I'll take care of you. I don't care what the circumstance is. I don't care if it's illness. I don't care if it's uh, financial. I don't care if it's family problems. I want you to know that I love you so much and I care about you so much that you're my child and I'm your father and I will take care of you far better than any earthly father could ever dream of taking care of his family. And listen, I know something about a father wanting to care for his family. Even after our kids are grown, we sit around and think about it. We want to help them. We want to see them thrive. We want to see whatever. We, we care about what their circumstances are. And Jesus said, God cares more about God cares more about you than your father ever could or you ever could for your children. And when we worry and we let worry just captivate our life, we're basically saying, God, I'm just not sure you're shooting straight with me. I'm not sure you're telling me the truth, Lord. I, I think there's something I need to, to just kind of say here, and that is I'm having struggles, and, and I don't believe you're in control. I don't believe you're caring for me. I don't believe you love me enough. Even though you say you do, and you say you are, 
And basically, though we'd never verbalize it, I've never ever in my life said, God, I think you're a liar. Neither of you. But when we worry and let that captivate our life, practically, that's exactly what we're doing. I want you to see here that Jesus in verses 25 through 34 never says once that if you become a Christian, all your problems will vanish. He never says, if you come to Christ, man, you'll never have another problem. Lady, you'll never have another problem. If you come to Christ, you'll be healthy, you'll be wealthy, and whatever you want will be all yours. Now, there are some folks out there who will tell you that's exactly what becoming a Christian is, but that's not what Jesus says. Why, in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 25, Jesus said, listen, as he was saying to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. And take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is, it a, for what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Jesus says, listen, I want you to understand. This matter of the Christian life doesn't become a life of ease. doesn't become a life of... Every desire you ever want will now be met. Now, as a matter of fact, sometimes that may be exactly contrary to the true Christian gospel. There may be problems you didn't even know you were going to have. You didn't at all expect until you came to Christ. I, I talk to people all the time, especially young people who have unbelieving parents who, who come to Christ. And man, they're all excited about Christ. And they didn't have any problems at home until they started wanting to follow Christ obediently. And then their problems really began. Jesus says, listen, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be without stress. It's not going to be without problems. But it ought to be without worry. What do you think causes worry? I, I think he kind of alludes to it here click, quick, uh, clearly. When he says in verse 34 there at the end, Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. One of the main causes of worry is simply we bring all of tomorrow's problems into today and we try to carry them around. You know, we think about what could happen and what could be a problem and what might be a struggle tomorrow and we say oh man I gotta deal with those today he says listen tomorrow will take care of itself don't worry about tomorrow God will always give us the grace as his children hear this this is very important don't miss this God will always give us the grace to face tomorrow's problems tomorrow hear that that's important God will always give us the grace to face tomorrow's problems tomorrow. He won't give you the grace to face tomorrow's problems today. And so if you start trying to bring those into today, you're missing the whole point. I'll never forget when I was a young man, many, many years ago, when I was in seminary. And uh, my first year of seminary, I had one of the godliest men for evangelism I've ever known in my life. A guy named Oscar Thompson. Oscar's with the Lord now. He went to be with the Lord before I graduated seminary. So in a period of three years, I met him, and he died. About the second semester of my college career, uh, Oscar was diagnosed with, well, actually it was the third semester, my second year. uh, At the Southern Baptist Convention the summer before, Oscar got very sick, Oscar Thompson. He got very ill, 
went to the doctor in the town where they were, and he said, you get back home to your doctor. Uh, I, we're detecting some serious cancer problems here. And so Oscar went back to Fort Worth, Texas, and he saw his doctor, and they started doing all this diagnosis, and, and he had cancer riddled throughout his body. It really did. I mean, he was, he was a sick man. And, and he came to class that, second sem- that first semester of my second year, where I was taking my second evangelism course from him, and he came into the class singing and praising God and worshiping the Lord. And, and i got to tell you, that, that class, although he only got to teach half the semester before he got very ill, but during that, that half of the semester, that's the greatest class I ever had in seminary. I don't know that I learned anything I didn't already know, but just being there and seeing his countenance and seeing his presence just blew me away. And I'll never forget one girl who was sitting there and she was going through some struggles with, a, uh, with family relationships and financial relationships. And, and, and she finally one day in class just raised her hand and said, Dr. Thompson, I'm sorry, I just, I, I can't understand. I can't understand how you are going through this. You're facing death any time now perhaps. And you are, you are joyful. You are praising God. You're rejoicing in the Lord. I don't understand that. You're dying. And he looked at her and he said, you can't understand that. And she looked at him kind of funny and we all looked at him kind of funny. And this was the exact words. I wrote this down and it's indelibly upon my mind. Oscar Thompson said, you can't know that because God doesn't give dying grace on non-dying days. God doesn't give dying grace on non-dying days. But when you need it, when you're facing the valley of the shadow of death, and when God is your, is your Father and Jesus Christ is your Lord, the truth of the matter is, Jesus says you don't have to worry about it because God's grace will be sufficient. He will give grace to face tomorrow's problems tomorrow. He doesn't give grace to face those problems today. And He doesn't give you that grace and waste that grace if you don't need it. But when you need it, he knows what you need. He cares about you more than you'll ever know. And he meets those needs. So Jesus is, in one sense, in this passage of Scripture, he's being the great physician here. He's, He's diagnosing the problem very clearly. And the problem is worry, and that worry is sin, and that worry is not trusting Christ and trusting God. That worry is depending too much on yourself when you belong to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he says, there is the problem. Do not worry. But what's his prescription? I mean, I can say to you all day long, don't worry. I have people come to my office for counseling all the time, and, and you know, I, I just so want to say, don't worry. And when I say that, they look at me, and you know what they're saying, what they're thinking? They're thinking, ha, easy for you to say. You're not going through what I'm going through. So I've stopped saying that in counseling situations. I don't say, well, just don't worry. I do say, go and read Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Maybe they'll listen to what Jesus says. I know they won't listen to what I say on that particular subject. But don't worry. How do you not worry? Well, Jesus says four things here that I think are very significant, and you've got to see them. First of all, he says, here's how you solve this serious problem, this serious illness, if you will, this serious sin. First of all, you have to look at the whole of life. That is 
Take the blinders off. When you're worried, you're focused, you're tunnel visioned on that worry, look at the rest of life. Look at how God has blessed you. Your life is more than your worries. And Jesus says, if you want an illustration, go out and look at the lilies or look at the birds. God takes care of them and he cares a whole lot more about you than he does them. Look at the whole of life. Second, look at the nature of life. <laughs> we don't like to do this, but we have to recognize it's beyond our control. The nature of life is that life is beyond our control. I mean, the psalmist said, Job said, our days have been numbered. This life has been planned out, and they're numbered in God's book, and he knows what they are, and your worry is not going to add one day to it. So recognize and understand the nature of life. Your life is in the hands of a loving, mighty God. And if you're his child, he's your heavenly Father who's watching after you and caring for you and will up until the time he's ready to take you home. That's a great truth. So learn and look at the nature of life. It's out of your control. Accept it. Now I know, we don't want to accept that. We want to be the captain of our destiny. We want to be the, the controller of our future. We want to be the one who sets the course and makes everything like we want it to be. Jesus says, I'm sorry. It's just not that way. Oh, there's some things you can change. There's some things you can do. But in the sprawl spectrum of things... Your life is in the hands of a loving, almighty God. Trust Him. Trust Him. He also says, look at the Lord's generosity. You know, He's provided, He has provided, and He is providing, and He will provide for all of your needs. All your needs. You say, well, there's a lot of things I want. Yeah, there are a lot of things you may want that aren't needs. And one of the things about focusing on the whole of life and the nature of life and the Lord's generosity helps us to see that a lot of those things that we thought we needed, we now discover we don't really need. We just kind of wanted them. I told you, since I was 16 years old, I've been praying for a Porsche. Somebody brought me a little model Porsche, but that wasn't quite the same thing, you understand. You know, things that we don't need, he didn't promise. And I quit praying for that a long time ago, by the way, but it's just a good illustration here. He says, here's the real key, though. Here's the real key. Verse 33. But seek first. Say the word first. That means a priority above everything else. Seek it with all your heart and with all your life. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And all these other things, food, clothes, material needs that you have, all these other things will be added to you. In other words, if we're seeking His kingdom, that is, seeking for His reign in our lives, in the life of our church, for His kingdom to come on this earth by taking the gospel to our neighbors, taking the gospel to our family members that are lost and without Christ, to expand the kingdom through evangelism and missions, if we're seeking first His kingdom, that He would rule and reign supremely, first of all in my life, and His righteousness. Not my righteousness that I work up, which is like filthy rags, but the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Lord, make me more like you. Lord, shape my life, mold my life, shave my life, 
chisel away at my life. Lord, I want your righteousness to be my righteousness. I want your righteousness to reign in my life above everything else. Seek first a priority importance, his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things, all these needs, all these things will be added to you. See, that's the truth. That's a fact. So I asked the question in the sermon title, you know, what are you, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? Are you seeking wealth and popularity and comfort and what you want and what's best for you and that's all that matters? Then worry will, worry will be like a cancer in your life. But seek first His kingdom. Seek first His righteousness. And God will take care of the worry because He'll provide every need you have. Don't pull tomorrow's problems into today and try to carry them around on your back. He'll give you the grace tomorrow that you need tomorrow. He'll give you the grace today that you need today. Trust in Him, not in yourself. Trust in His power, not in your puny power. His mighty power. It's the power to save those who don't know Him. And it's the power to, make, make your, to meet your needs for those who are His children. Seek first His kingdom. Seek first His righteousness. And then worship Him. Let's pray together. Father, you, Jesus really doesn't mince any words here. Paul made the same statement in Philippians 4. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. And Jesus talks about not worrying right after he's taught us how to pray. Prayer is a vital part of not worrying. Because prayer gets our focus right. Prayer takes away the blinders. Prayer helps us see you in all your glory and come into your presence. Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit you will teach us that today. As individuals and as a church, that our trust is in you, our hope is in you, and not in ourselves. Father, speak your truth. Father, I pray for men and women who are sitting here this morning who are scratching their head and saying, what do you mean don't worry? i got to worry. i gotta, I got some tough situations. Lord, maybe it's they're worrying because they don't know the king who alleviates the worries. And I pray, Father, for those who are here this morning don't know Jesus Christ as Lord, that, Father, you would move in their heart by your Holy Spirit and draw them to faith in Christ. Show them yourself. Show them your sufficiency. Show them your glory, Father. Father, I just pray that you'd be glorified during this time, in this day. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.